Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Sign up to The Economist for in depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, coming to you from Reach, the people behind the Manchester Evening News, Newcastle Chronicle and Yorkshire Live. If you want to know what's going on in Northern politics from a Northern perspective outside the Westminster bubble, you're in the right place. I'm Northern Agenda editor Rob Parsons, covering the North every day with an email newsletter that drops in your inbox just before lunchtime and brings you up to date with the latest political news from our region. All you need to do to sign up is visit www.thenorthernagenda.co.uk. Now, when people think of Northern transport as a political issue, generally their minds turn to trains, and there's certainly no shortage of issues to discuss there. But in today's episode, we're going to talk about buses, the form of transport used much more frequently in the North every day than trains, and for many people, representing a lifeline getting them to work, school, or vital social contact. Having a thriving bus network in our towns and cities is seen as vital to get people out of their cars, reduce congestion and clean up our air. And from a political point of view, the Conservatives know that making buses better, cheaper and more reliable will help retain the support of those famous Red Wall voters in the North who helped him win power in 2019. Here's Prime Minister Boris Johnson last year, who, as you'll recall, has described making models of buses to relax launching his national bus strategy, which he calls Bus Back Better. I think buses can make a massive difference to to people's lives. They are vital for getting to to work. They give immense uh, security to your your daily life. And that's why we're increasing the number of buses in the country with a a, a £3 billion investment. 4,000 new clean, green buses uh, we're investing in made in the UK, made in, uh, in, in, in England, in Scotland uh, and in Northern Ireland and part of our green industrial revolution. Over the course of the next few minutes, we're going to be hearing from a passenger and wheelchair user who relies on buses to help her get her son to school, a senior bus industry leader who fears passenger numbers may never return to what they were pre-pandemic, and a senior Labour politician who warns that if action isn't taken, all we can hope for is managed decline on our vital transport networks, and will be revealing the results of an exclusive survey of bus passengers in the North by the Northern Agenda. As we'll hear, the truth is that across our region, we're a long way from a bus network that delivers for the needs of passengers. Numbers of passengers on our buses have been falling for decades, in parts of the North by 15-20% to in just the last decade or so. In South Yorkshire, the operator first has made losses of 26 million in just the last eight years due to declining numbers, with the growth of car use making the roads more congested and harder for bus services to run well. Since March 2020, the pandemic has accelerated the damaging trends affecting bus services and put the revenues of bus operators under even more pressure. Patronage levels dropped to just 10% of pre-pandemic levels at the height of lockdown, and though they have since slowly recovered, they are still some way below what they used to be. One major operator, Arriva, told us that some of its routes in the north are still carrying just 45% of their pre-pandemic passenger numbers. To keep services going for vital workers, central government and local authorities have pumped in millions and millions of pounds in emergency support grants to make up for the lost revenue. But in six weeks' time, the latest round of funding support runs out meaning bus companies will have no choice but to cut routes and put up prices to stay afloat. 
In Newcastle and North Tyneside, it emerged this week exactly what this would look like in a move described as the biggest single change to local bus services for 35 years. By the end of March, Arriva, Go North East and Stagecoach will be slashing their mileage locally, removing evening or weekend buses, shortening routes and cutting some services entirely on a total of 30 routes. For many observers of the bus industry, there's an obvious solution to this problem. Bus franchising, putting the decisions about fares and routes in the hands of local authorities rather than the private bus operators, would mean the North could follow the example of London, which has not seen a decline in services anything like that outside the capital. Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham is the first leader to try and reverse the privatisation of bus services introduced by Margaret Thatcher in the 1985 Transport Act and plans to run the region's buses in-house. And as we put the finishing touches on this episode of the podcast, the mayors of South Yorkshire and the Liverpool City region both announced that they were planning to move forward with proposals to franchise local bus services themselves. The move is opposed by most bus companies, so you might be surprised by what a senior executive told us when we asked him about franchising later in the podcast. Keeping local bus services going and allowing more time for passengers to return, as has been happening slowly since the nation went into lockdown, won't be cheap. In Greater Manchester, leaders say £30 million is needed to stabilise its local bus market in the next few weeks. And in the longer term, as part of the government's Bus Back Better strategy, local leaders across the North and nationwide have been encouraged to put together detailed bids for exactly how they would improve their networks. In the Liverpool City region alone, Mayor Steve Rotherham has set out plans for improvements valued at nearly £670 million. But with the amount available to fund all the schemes nationwide, apparently shrinking from £3 billion to just £1.2 billion, it looks like many of those plans won't get further than the drawing board, at least for now. And, as we'll hear, there are so many in Northern England for whom a working bus service is not a luxury, but a necessity. One of the many people in Northern England who relies on bus services every day is Snoof Catacop, an artist, maker and educator who lives in Liverpool. A wheelchair user who doesn't drive, she uses buses for all her day-to-day travel, including the school run for her son. Snoof, it's uh, great to talk to you on the podcast today. Hi, great to be here. Thank you. Can you just tell us a bit about your experiences of using local buses in Liverpool? Are, Are they meeting your needs currently? It is very much dependent on the driver, funnily enough. So, for example, I don't know how many people are aware of this. Wheelchairs take priority over prams. So if you have a pram in the wheelchair space, a wheelchair user wants to get on, uh, then by law, they're actually required to ask the pram user to fold up their pram or even get off the bus, right? And most of the time when this comes up, if I'm not going anywhere in a rush, I just say, you know, leave it, it's fine. But a lot of the time, I would say well over half, the driver will just say, no, I'm full up, you can't get on and then if I'm going somewhere in a rush like if I'm going to work or if I'm got a doctor's appointment or whatever then actually I don't have any recourse while while I should have and I have been before I was a wheelchair user I have been a mum on the bus with a pram and it's horrible having to fall in it's horrible having to wake up your kid and sometimes it's just an absolute nightmare and it makes your day terrible but you can fold it up I can't fold myself up do you know what I mean I don't like I say I don't mind leaving people on if I can but the bus drivers very often just go, no, do you know, I'm not even going to bother or I won't even stop. I'll just drive past and just wave so that you can see that someone with a pram is sat in the wheelchair spot. And that makes it really hard to take people seriously when they say we need to take more buses. We need to not do so much driving because actually buses aren't always very feasible. Um, so, for example, the bus that I take for the school run comes twice an hour. If it turns up late at the other end, which is the the end of the line, then they will speak to the operator and they will very often be told to just go not in service and drive back to the depot, uh, which I'm told is to do with metrics. But that means that you then sat there for 40 minutes waiting for the next bus to come in the rain with a bunch of kids who have got out of school and not been able to get on the bus. That bus also leaves the school area at the same time the school lets out. So except for times when it's about 10 minutes late, those kids are just sat there for 40 minutes by a shopping centre doing nothing. Obviously, sometimes getting in trouble because what else are you going to do when your kid just sat waiting for the bus for a, like, a silly amount of time? 
And I'm sitting there sometimes for three hours waiting for a bus that'll turn up, they'll actually take us home. And yeah, I just think it's it's an interesting one to say everyone needs to use more buses. Then the buses have to be run in such a way that that's a possible sort of option. What would make bus services better as far as as far as you're concerned? Is it just a case of there being more but more buses so that that you know there's more capacity to take people, or are there other improvements that you would like to see made? In theory, I don't know about Stagecoach, but I know that for Arriva, in theory, every day, every bus is checked. And one of the things that they check is, is the wheelchair ramp working? And they don't check this every day. I know that because the wheelchair ramp sometimes does not work. And the bus driver is just like, I'm so sorry, like this should have been checked. But it hasn't been great. And that's obviously not the bus driver's fault in any way. And I'm not trying to vilify bus drivers in any way, because obviously they're just doing the job they need to do, right? There needs to be a better oversight that actually the bus is doing what it's supposed to do. Another thing that I think is that there needs to be input from the people using the buses in terms of the route. So like the route I take is a straight route. Uh, I say straight, it's one bus, not, it doesn't like, (laughs) it meanders a bit. And because it's a meandering route that isn't serving people who are just going into the city and out of it in order to go and spend money or make money or whatever, it therefore runs twice an hour. Whereas if I went outside my door, and down one street, I can take literally a bus every five minutes on any of five different routes that will take me straight into Liverpool, straight back out. And literally, I will be there for five minutes and there will be a number of buses that come that could take me there. And at that point, it's not an issue, right? Because if one of them has a ramp that doesn't work, I just get on the next one. One of them already has a wheelchair user on. That's fine. I'll get on the next one. It's not a problem. But I'm trying to get to school and that bus comes once, like, once every half an hour and then at some point in the day changes so that it comes at a slightly different time past the hour and some people turn up and go, has the bus been? Yeah, it's been like it went 20 minutes ago, but you know, you don't know what, what to expect, basically. And then at the other end, at five past three, when school bell rings and kids start coming out, that's when the bus leaves and you sat there for 40 minutes. So if you actually listen to the people using that bus, those kids' parents or those kids themselves could say to you, we need, we need one of those buses to turn up at 10 past three or, or quarter past three so that we've got time to come out of school and actually get on the bus. But that's just not taken into account at all. I have no idea who makes those decisions. And there's certainly no interest in hearing from the users because I've contacted them and you don't even get an acknowledgement that they've received what you've said. They just, you know, yeah, you said something and we're not going to listen to it. So why even bother saying something in return? You're a member of the community union acorn i gather and i know there's quite a big you know amongst the union movement and other politicians there is a call that buses should be taken into public hands and it ought to be public authorities who make the decisions about their routes and fares and that kind of thing you believe that that is the best way to go i i do believe that but i think when you say local authorities i feel very much that that those local authorities, whether that's the council or whoever, needs to be held to account that they actually need to speak to speak to the people who actually use the buses. Again, like, you know, the councillors, local councillors, they're largely driving cars as well. You know what I mean? People need to have some kind of input in how our communities operate. Like, community is not a spectator sport and you can't build a community that you're not a part of. You have to speak to the people who have the needs in order to know what those needs are. And I think that's a big issue in politics in general. I think that's a big issue in local politics in general. Like you can't look at someone and decide what they need. You have to speak to them first and and find out from them and maybe let them take the lead. I don't know what it would look like in practice, but certainly I I don't think that, I don't know where they're based, but some guy in, in, in wherever in a suit in a corner office needs to be deciding what we need as a community in terms of when the bus should go and and stuff like that. Snoof, Catacop, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Asking bus users what they want, now there's an idea. That's exactly what the Northern Agenda did this week launching a big bus survey to find out what people in Northern England think about their local buses and what they'd like to change. More than 2,000 people responded from all across the North to our online survey, from Lancashire to Teesside and from South Yorkshire to Northumberland. I think it's fair to say the results don't make encouraging reading for those hoping to tempt more people onto buses out of their cars in the coming years. We asked people to give a score of between 1 and 10 for bus services in their area, with 10 being the best. 
Some 41% gave scores of just one, two or three, and only 12% rated their local service an eight, a nine or a ten. In total, nearly 70% gave their bus service a below average score of between one and five out of ten. When we asked how often people use the bus, a quarter of respondents said five days or more a week, but slightly more said they only use them occasionally. And are they using buses less now than before the pandemic? 47% said they were using buses just as much as before, but a sizable chunk, 40%, said they were now taking the bus less often or much less often. And as for the biggest issue putting people off the buses, 22% said it was them not coming regularly enough, the most popular answer. Buses not coming at the right times and being too expensive were other issues raised. So it's not a surprise that when asked what would make them more likely to use the bus, the most popular answer at 26% was more regular services. As for the politics of bus services, this was a self-selecting survey, obviously, but there was strong support for bus services being taken into public control, as is happening in Manchester. Half of all respondents said this would improve services a lot, 17% said they would improve, and only 16% they'd get worse or stay the same. But across the North West, Yorkshire and the Humber and the North East, leaders are taking different approaches to dealing with the tricky problem of how to make buses fit for purpose. sense of how all these issues are playing out in one part of the north, let's visit South Yorkshire where Labour's Dan Jarvis is leading the calls by Metro Mayors around the country for the government to extend the vital support needed to keep local bus services going beyond the end of March. George Tor is the local democracy reporter for South Yorkshire and has been following the developments in the last few weeks. George, welcome to the podcast. Hi Rob, nice to join you. So, to set the scene, what is the general picture with South Yorkshire buses? Obviously, there's been a pandemic which has uh, changed things a lot, but are people generally happy with the services they're getting, or what are some of the issues passengers are, are facing? In short, Rob, uh, people are unhappy. Uh, I think I, I will be amazed if I went and spoke to loads of people at bus stops across South Yorkshire today and asked them if they were happy with their bus service. I think they will be in the very, very, very small minority of people who say they are happy. And there is a, you know, this is an issue that's a, a really long and convoluted one, but I'll, I'll try and keep it brief. So South Yorkshire in general used to be the jewel in the crown of bus services in the 80s. Uh, I mean, I can't remember because I wasn't born then, but I, people like my dad and my granddad will tell me uh, about times when fares were two pence and you can get across South Yorkshire pretty easily. Now, the things have changed since then. Obviously, the Deregulation Act brought in by Margaret Thatcher has been, a, to be honest, been a complete disaster for people in South Yorkshire. I don't think that's a controversial statement. I think that that will be kind of shared, that view across the country. It's a really funny issue, really, because obviously the, the pandemic has really not helped. But even before the pandemic, people were calling you know, bus services in South Yorkshire. The buzzword being thrown around by politicians at the minute is a managed decline of bus services. So COVID has hit massively due to uh, isolation of bus drivers and tram drivers as well in Sheffield and parts of Rotherham. Fares are going up as well. Uh, there's been a latest announcement to the Travel Master ticket, which basically is kind of a, an all-inclusive travel ticket within South Yorkshire, which includes some Northern Rail services, Super Tram in Sheffield and Rotherham, and then buses with stage, coach and first, and other smaller operators who do some smaller services. Yeah, so to put this into kind of a bit of a lived experience, Rob, so I live not far from one of the busiest bus routes in Sheffield, served by the 120, runs from halfway in the southeast of the city, scoots into town, past my house, into town, out through town, back through to the Hallamshire Hospital and on to the southwest of uh, Sheffield. Really busy and profitable route. And, you you know, any real point of the day or night, whenever you got on it, you didn't really wait more than 10 minutes. Now, now this can be 20 or 30 minutes, depending kind of what service it is. And then usually, you know, that dreaded saying of you wait for a bus to turn up and then three come at once. That's exactly what happens sometimes, depending on all sorts of factors. So if that's the case where I am on a really busy, profitable route, then I dread to think what the rest of South Yorkshire is experiencing because, you know, this kind of what's been said as a managed decline is I'm seeing it in real time. I don't think anyone's disputing that. 
So, like I said, Rob, there's, there's a real mixture of issues. COVID's not helped. The funding, which is due to finish, I think, in April from the government, there's real concern around that because even though the economy and the people are, you know, opening up a lot more now, there's still patronage is still below pre-pandemic levels. So there is some kind of problems moving forward. You're talking about the funding potentially not being there in a few weeks' time. That appears to have sparked a bit of a war of words, doesn't it, between Dan Jarvis, the Metro Mayor of South Yorkshire, and the, the bus operators, uh, Stagecoach and First Group. Just take us through what's been said on either side. Yeah, so, I mean, with, with anything with the Mayoral Combined Authority, the big issue that people, that their ears prick up is around bus services and tram services in, in the area. It's the most talked about issue that the Mayoral Combined Authority has so a couple of weeks ago, Dan Jarvis sent a letter to the top bosses of First and Stagecoach. He really, in no uncertain terms, said that, you know, in terms of price rises and service cuts, which is still unclear at the moment, but they are coming in kind of no uncertain terms that this, you know, this shouldn't happen with the state that kind of bus services are in. They're already pretty bad and this would make things worse. So he said, you know, please stay with us. Uh, We're about to enter an enhanced partnership, which in kind of the simplest of terms would bring the Mayoral Combined Authority and the operators together uh, a lot closer. But with the enhanced partnership, there is still this feeling that at the end of the day, if there's a decision over fares and bus services, particular routes, then the operators would still have the final say. So... They're moving into this partnership, which is probably going to happen. And this was on the back of uh, moving into an enhanced partnership was kind of one of the conditions of the Bus Bike Better plan, where South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority would get a slice of this three billion, now 1.2 billion. So there has been a war of words between the operators and the mayor, but the operators have come back and said, yes, we've had the funding from government. First, for example, said they've not made a real profit in South Yorkshire since 2010. Stagecoach have said due to COVID and other issues that they're still not at a place where they they feel that they can provide a service which people want at the moment. I mean, that's fair to say. They're saying a lot of things are out of our control. But then you've got other people like Louise Haig, who's the Shadow Secretary of State for Transport, who's also a Sheffield MP, as you know. She's basically turned around and said, yes, the government have not helped the situation, but First and Stagecoach really need to stop pointing the finger at everyone else and saying this is not our fault when they need to take some responsibility as well. So the mayor and the operators are due to have a a proper sit down, try and thrash some of these issues out. But at the moment, it doesn't seem to be going to be resolved anytime soon, Rob. Now, a potential long term solution is possible anyway in, in South Yorkshire is following the example of Greater Manchester and taking bus services into public hands uh, you know, under the franchising model. Now, this is something that's being talked about, isn't it, in South Yorkshire, but it's far from certain that this is where things will end up. Yeah, so the Mayoral Combined Authority, you know, this this issue of franchising is on the cards. I think these recent public spats have kind of accelerated that conversation. So Clive Betts, Sheffield South East MP, former leader of Sheffield City Council in the 80s and 90s, did kind of an independent review into the state of buses in South Yorkshire. This was in 2020, 2021. And uh, to no uncertain terms, it wasn't great. You know, frequency of services, prices, the confusion over what tickets and what services you can access for certain people was still confusing. So there was a load of things said in this report. And it also mentioned about the, the role of franchising. So they were saying that franchising will be considered by the Mayoral Combined Authority. But that kind of timeline, I think, has been pushed up from this public spot. So in terms of franchising, as you said, it would bring basically... The people would run the buses. South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority would have the say over routes, over fares, even the look of delivery on buses, which is something that would hark back to the days of the 80s in Sheffield and South Yorkshire when it was under South Yorkshire Passenger Transport. This kind of idea is really popular. Um, I have no doubt that Mayor Jarvis's inbox at the minute is from a lot of people, uh, from constituents who want this to happen. Now, obviously, this sounds all great, but... Again, with, with, with finances, this isn't a completely certain prospect. So Greater Manchester, as you'll know, Rob, you know, they, they are well further down the line with this. People who are against this are saying that this could cost over £100 million just to change over the kind of the systems from what it is now to what it would be. And then, you know, they'd need more money on top to see some tangible improvements. Now, these are the people who are kind of lobbying on behalf of the private operators. So we don't know where that will fall. 
Again, I don't think it's helped with the fact that, you know, this bus back better plan launched by Boris Johnson in 2020 promised 3 billion. Now it's only 1.2 billion. South Yorkshire would get a, a large slice of that. But obviously, you know, it's over a 50% potential cut in funding. And with the uh, end to subsidiaries for the help in the short term due to coronavirus and the effects that it's had on bus services in general, this doesn't seem to be go and get sorted anytime soon. The Mayor Combined Authority are going to be talking about this. They're basically going to launch their own kind of investigative uh, process to try and get this off the ground. But like I said, it's taken Manchester, what, since 2019? They're still not at the point of where the public fully controls the buses. So in South Yorkshire, this might be until the middle of, middle of this decade before we see any potential change. George Tor, local democracy reporter for South Yorkshire. Thank you very much. This week, Labour ratcheted up the pressure on the government to take action on local bus services as it warned that the wave of cuts was due to begin six weeks ahead of the April the 6th deadline when emergency funding is due to run out. Front and centre of these efforts is Sheffield MP Louise Haig, who as Shadow Transport Secretary has written to Conservative Secretary of State Grant Shapps warning that a cliff edge of funding could be devastating for the millions who depend on buses. Let's find out a bit more about Labour's position on this. So, Louise, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Now, you obviously have a dual interest in this as a shadow minister, but also an MP in a part of the country where these cuts are a real possibility. Can you just set out what you consider the the scale of the issue potentially could be in the North if action isn't taken? Even prior to the pandemic, we were already seeing a worsening and a decline of our bus networks and falling passenger numbers because the services and the routes just simply weren't accessible or usable for for most people that live in Sheffield or indeed most most communities across the north. Obviously, during the pandemic, um, the taxpayer stepped in and supported bus operators to the tune of hundreds of millions of pounds. And unfortunately, that has not been repaid by the operators who have put up fares and are cutting services even more. So a big part of this is on the on the government, but the operators do have to take some responsibility as well, who've carried on making profits even whilst they were being propped up by the taxpayer. But passenger numbers have not returned to anything like what they were prior to COVID. And so we are saying that the government really does have to step in and um, continue supporting services, particularly in those on those routes that aren't commercially viable. Um, because the fact of the matter is that whilst passenger numbers are not up to where they were before, the vast majority of those routes are not commercially viable. And they need they need to be provided. They need to be provided for social inclusion reasons to make sure that people can physically get about that don't rely on a car, but also for economic reasons to connect people up to, to jobs and opportunities. And it is astonishing to me that coming out of the pandemic, we're back up to over 100% um, of car journeys in some areas and still only at about 70 or 80% of where we were on public transport. We really should be doing everything we can possibly to get people onto public transport and out of their cars. And in fact, what the government is doing is the, is the exact opposite. I'm quite interested in what Labour would do in this situation because obviously you've called for the government to give clarity to bus operators and sort of the the mayoral authorities but as you say patronage levels are not yet where they need to be to make services self-sustaining and I mean and it seems in some areas the levels may not ever return to what they were pre-pandemic. Are you saying that in government Labour would just keep funding these unprofitable services indefinitely or, or, or would there be a, a point at which you'd have to you you would you would have to cut it off well, I think it's a bit chicken and egg isn't it really because the bus service is not good and it's not reliable and accessible or even affordable for a lot of people then people aren't using it you need to create good public transport systems in order to encourage people onto them in the first place. So, you know, when you're when you're investing in new routes and services, they're not going to be commercially viable at first, but people have to know that they are reliable and accessible um, in order to make the decision to, to, to not use their cars. All over the country, including in Sheffield, we're introducing or attempting to introduce clean air zones. And people are understandably worried about the impact that will have on them for the cost of getting into city centres, paying more to drive, when what really the the message should be, we're going to create a world-class public transport system so that you don't have to rely on your car, because actually I think the majority of people would, would rather get about using public transport 
than have to rely on the car, but that's just not an option for the vast majority of people. We would invest the money that the, go- the government have already promised on bus transformation. We, you have to recognise that it does need significant upfront investment. But crucially, we also want to move to a system of franchising, as Andy Burnham is doing in Greater Manchester, in order to give the public and the taxpayer control and, and power over those bus networks, because at the moment we're almost completely at the mercy of the operators. You spoke about investing in bus services and obviously Boris Johnson uh, says that's exactly what he's doing. He's got this bus back better programme, which the government says is worth three billion pounds. But you and others say the actual figure is more like 1.2 billion. And I, I, I saw that you had an interesting exchange with Grant Chaps in the Commons a few weeks ago where you said the total had been cut by 1.8 billion. And he said, no, that's misleading to say. And actually the 1.2 billion is part of this wider package of three billion and that you shouldn't repeat this misleading claim. But I I assume, without getting too too technical, that you still think that that's right and the government is offering less for bus improvements than it originally said it was going to. Yeah, so a year ago, Boris Johnson um, announced this bus back better strategy in which he said that um, he would guarantee great bus services for everyone everywhere. And that was a three billion pound pot that he asked every single region in the country to bid into. You know, areas like South Yorkshire, I think we put in a bid for 360 million pounds. Now, Grant Shapps recently came clean on that and he, he you know he tweeted it himself that that the pot actually is 1.2 billion and the rest there's been some creative accounting but that's basically been assigned elsewhere and that means that it's going to only be targeted at certain areas of the country now we don't know which ones those will be yet but in Michael Gove's leveling up white paper he talked about investing in bus services where it would create the most impact so that means Communities' expectations have been raised so significantly. They've put in these really ambitious plans in order to transform and revolutionise our bus um, networks. And now vast ways of the country are going to be told that they're not getting a penny. Just as a final point, you mentioned franchising. And obviously it's going ahead in Greater Manchester. And I know that areas like West Yorkshire and South Yorkshire are watching with interest about how that developed. Because obviously... You know, it's an expensive business, there's a lot of upfront cost and it's opposed by some operators. So would you go further and make it mandatory? I mean, what, what would you do to bring about franchising that's different to what's going on at the moment? So we would give powers. At the moment, only mayoral regions can, can move to a franchising system. Um, so we would give powers to every local transport authority to bring in franchising if that's what local people wanted. We still have a few municipal bus companies across the country. Nottingham, where I went to university, have a brilliant local um, bus company that they own and it's got world-class bus services as a result. People talk to me all the time about what the buses were like in Sheffield before I was born when they were in uh, public ownership, how, um, how how good and how broad they were, but also how cheap and, uh, and affordable they were as well. You know, we had COP26, like six, less than six months ago, with all these enormous commitments and promises made about how we would get to net zero. And if you're gonna do that, public transport has to be a fundamental part of it. Yet almost every policy decision this government is making is pushing people off public transport and back into their cars. And that's just not sustainable. I think we all wanna live in less congested, less polluted cities and communities. And the only way you can possibly deliver that is by taking control and investing in public transport. Louise Haig, thank you very much. Thanks. So we've heard from the passengers and politicians, but what's the view of the companies that run bus services in Northern England? Let's find out from John Dowie, the Director of Partnerships at First Bus, which is the second largest regional bus operator in the country and transports nearly half a million people each day. John, it's nice to talk to you today. Hello. Can you give us an idea about how services are currently looking in the parts of the North where First is a major operator, so Greater Manchester, South Yorkshire, West Yorkshire and York. How how close are passenger levels to pre-pandemic levels? And are you you seeing people using the buses at the same times that they they used to use them? We've been through, um, as many parts of the economy have, an incredible, challenging roller coaster ride over the last, um, last couple of years. So we saw the recovery at the back end of 2020 from a very low point because we were down to about 10% passenger levels at one point in in April 2020. Recovery started, of course, Delta variant, 
that um, changed direction again. It was quite difficult over 2020 into 21. Again, we saw recovery starting to kick in. It was building up as we entered the autumn last year and then came Omicron. So we're again, it's another sort of kickback. Passenger volumes are slowly building back, not as quickly as we'd hoped. Small amount every month, week by week. It's quite a lot of local variation. We're doing better in West Yorkshire than the other locations. York had a really good period pre-Christmas. I think just reflects the particular nature of the York market. Attraction is a Christmas, pre-Christmas destination. We're definitely lagging a bit in Greater Manchester from where we'd like to be, and even more so in in South Yorkshire. Um, So quite a lot of local variability. One thing is pretty certain that wherever we end up in a few months' time, the so-called new normal, it's not going to be like pre-COVID. Quite a lot has changed. So by that you mean that not just you're not getting the volumes that you had before, but that people are using the buses at different times to when they used to use them. Yes. I mean, education feels quite robust, um, quite resilient. There does appear to be more discretionary travel. So weekends are busier, indeed, sometimes busier than pre-COVID. So so that suggests there's a a lot of leisure travel. That was particularly apparent, obviously, pre-Christmas. But some the two of the core markets, the commuting um, market and the retail definitely seem to be lagging. And, and the concessionary fares market, which is largely older people, um, has definitely taken a hit. And it's, it's quite difficult to know whether that's because there's still a lot of COVID reticence in that market, or actually older people may have discovered the delights of digital shopping. Um, they may caught, have caught up with their children and their grandchildren, and that could be a permanent change. So it's just so difficult to know. So really, it's not clear at the moment whether if we just allow things to continue, that passenger levels would gradually keep creeping up back to something approaching pre-pandemic levels, or whether they might never, depending on, uh, I guess, other measures that are taken to sort of encourage bus travel. I mean, there, there are almost as many views as there are people in the sector, um, and endless academics are doing studies on this. So it, it's, a, it's a very moot point. My personal view is we're not going to get back to 100%, and it will be a different pattern of travel from um, the pre-COVID. Some of the change is permanent. Given all that and the fact that, you know, in in recent months and during the pandemic, the government has been providing this subsidy to keep uh, a lot of services going. But we keep hearing about this deadline of early April when this emergency support will end. In your main northern patches for for first, what what would that mean if that funding was withdrawn? And how, how worried are you that that is what will actually end up happening? It is a critical moment. Government has backed up, supported the sector, and indeed um, our local authorities have through the last two years. Without that support, and you can imagine with 10% patronage, um, we wouldn't be here today. That's that's clear. So we are, we are hugely grateful for that support, just as we are for in terms of our drivers for you know, keeping those key services going through the, through the pandemic. So we're grateful for where we are today. Looking forward... Our great concern is is kind of cutting off the green shoots of recovery just too early. We are getting patronage return, you know, maybe percentage every fortnight um, kind of level. We just need more weeks to let that build up. Cutting it off too early, taking services away will actually damage the recovery. And I think um, across bus operators, local government, that's the kind of consistent refrain. We think central government gets that. I do believe central government will step in, but that's um, clearly that's just a hope. It's not a or an expectation. It's not um, bankable at the moment. So the decisions government will take in the next few days is clearly quite critical for that. If it was to be cut off, well, if I put it this way, at the moment we are running higher mileage in all our mark every single one of our markets than we've got patronage recovery. Sometimes that we're running 10%, sometimes even more mileage than, um, than um, we've got patronage. So you can see that if the funding support that allowed us to do that just disappeared, we'd have no option 
but to reduce mileage quite significantly in some places. Uh, and that's absolutely something we don't want to do. Now, obviously, if you listen to some of the politicians, and we've heard from Louise Haig, the Shadow Transport Secretary, earlier in this podcast, they put some of the onus onto operators like yourself in terms of what should happen if the support isn't there from the government. And they talk about operators like FIRST presiding over a, a managed decline of the bus network where prices are going up, but services are not getting better. And you know th- th- that trend could get even worse if we don't get the emergency support carrying on in April. I mean, what's your view on that? And do you accept that there are things that operators like yourself can do to encourage more people onto the buses and to keep vital services going should that emergency support not not be there from April? I'll come on to our side of this because absolutely we we have a critical role to play that putting on reliable quality services, services turning up when people are expecting them, cleanliness, pushing the ticketing, developing the digital offer through ticketing and ticketing is is really sometimes you forget with small scale changes over a long period of time that actually it builds up and the ticketing offer now and its sophistication is very very different from what it would have been five ten years ago um, so there are we have been doing a huge amount to modernize the offer and an example during covid was was putting buses onto our apps the location of buses so people could see when they were going to arrive where they were they could actually see how full they were. So in our context during the middle of the pandemic, that was a real reassurance to many of our passengers. So we have been really working hard at it um, to improve the offer. Sometimes we don't get that right. And certainly in South Yorkshire, pre-COVID, we had to apologise because we weren't delivering a good enough service. But we are absolutely working on it day by day, week by week, to do our bit of this. But there are limits because... I know we're often criticised for fares increases, network reductions over time. The the problem is our costs are rising higher than inflation. There's a basic reality. The bulk of our costs are our staff, are our fuel, costs of vehicles, parts for maintenance. And we are under continuous pressure on that front. Has to be recognised somehow. It's either fares public sector support, or we have to reduce services. So there comes a point where sometimes fares do have to increase. But they, the, the problem is with COVID, it's just exacerbated. And the, the changes we were talking about have just exacerbated the market challenges we're trying to face. So while we will absolutely do our bit, we would be sort of driving on empty if we tried to cover for a withdrawal of government funding. Now, there was an interesting letter that one of your senior leaders in South Yorkshire sent back to Dan Jarvis, the mayor in uh, in South Yorkshire, discussing what was going on there. And they said that current transport taxation policy, insufficient action to address car congestion and a lack of incentives to encourage a change in travel behaviour, continue to put pressure on fares and undermine the viability of bus networks across the country. Obviously, all those are things that are within the gift of uh, either central or local government, mostly. I mean, is that a fair reflection of the situation across the north of England, across the country, that there's all these other things that could be done which would get more people onto onto buses? There's no panacea. There's no single solution to all of this. So, and often the debate, and I'm talking about bus operators as well, often the debate tends to become focused on one thing, what was what's uppermost in that party's mind. So local authorities, politicians, often understandably, they focus on networks, fares. Operators often focus on congestion. And of course, it's the reality is there's a whole series of things which feed together to create the kind of storm in, in, in front of us. But it's it undoubtedly true, particularly in our urban centres, that the long-term growth in car ownership and use which has been partic- particularly predominant um, apparent in the in the north of England, and that's that's good because it reflects economic growth, greater prosperity among many households, not all, of course, but that brings with it real challenges in terms of traffic, in terms of road congestion, and and bus is peculiarly affected by that because you know we're not like rail we don't use someone else a dedicated track we use the same roads 
that lorries, vans, delivery vans, cars, cyclists, pedestrians, everyone else is using, and those streets become harder to navigate, then that will cause real challenges for our bus services. You know, the good old bus bunching of, of popular, um, almost popular myth. The only way we can tackle that, well, there's two ways. One is just to accept the service is going to deteriorate. But that's clearly not a good outcome for our passengers. The other is to put an extra bus or an extra couple of buses into a service so there is more time for buses to lay over at the end of their trips so we can offer a more reliable frequency. But you put on an extra bus, that's a bus, that's a driver, that's the fuel. So that's a real big cost overhead that just weighs on the business. So tackling congestion is really important for us and is a real shared interest with local government. And we just need more action. As the final question, I just want to ask you about one of the solutions that a lot of people put forward to all the ills of local bus services, which is franchising or taking buses into public hands. Obviously, it's in the process of happening in Greater Manchester and in other parts of Northern England. It's being monitored carefully. And the survey that we've done suggests you know, quite a strong public backing for bus services to go into public hands. But I know it's something that operators like First have uh, real concerns about. So, I mean, what do you see as, are there any structural changes that could be made which could achieve the bus network that we all need and is franchising potentially one of those changes that could work or is it is it not a goer from your point of view i think i might i might surprise you a little bit about what i'm about to say about franchising so we as a private sector bus operator believe that partnership working which utilizes our skills the different skills powers of a local authority together working jointly is the best way forward but ultimately the choice of way of delivering bus services franchising or some other is is ultimately a local authority's democratic right and we will work with whatever that chosen option is my health warning to local government would be that at the moment we are struggling with the challenges of running bus services in congested environments with long-term decline in bus patronage bus patronage in the likes of South Yorkshire, West Yorkshire, Greater Manchester, it's fallen by the you know, 15 to 20%, you know, in the last decade plus. So, you know, we are losing passengers slowly uh, is part of the problem. COVID will exacerbate that. That involves considerable risks. You know, we have to manage the challenges of the new digital ticketing, the switch to zero emission vehicles. We have to manage that at the moment. Now, Clearly, if if local government actually thinks it wants them and is better able to manage that, that's its choice. But it has to accept the risks that will then transfer across. You can imagine our markets do perform differently across. Some are more um, successful long term than others. But say in South Yorkshire, I think we we have said publicly to the the mayor in the last couple of weeks. Um, and we have made losses of 26 million in South Yorkshire over the last eight years. Now, if the South Yorkshire public authorities want to take on that risk and that loss through a franchising system, that's their choice. So there are lots of places in the north which are seemingly struggling to cope with the challenge of deteriorating passenger numbers. But are there any areas that you could point to which are sort of going the right way about things yes and i think that's that's a really important point because it's so easy for bus operators just just to sit and complain about others and their their insufficient activity i think the the one that stands out looking across the north is um Leeds city council and west yorkshire combined authority through the connecting Leeds deal where and this was agreed way back in 2016, but a, a rec- recognition after the demise of the trolley bus that, that actually the passenger in Leeds needed a real push in terms of bus, needed better offer, both in ticketing information, but also in terms of bus priority. 173, it's since million, it's since grown, was committed to bus through that process. So it's a degree of priority in terms of funding that bus hasn't got generally 
elsewhere. And, and the, the follow through in terms of delivery was really impressive. And it's not just an exemplar for the North. Actually, it's an exemplar for the UK about what a, local, a committed local authority can do. And that, that has led to sizable investment in improving some of the key corridors from the Leeds suburbs into the city centre, the bus circulation around the immediate city centre area. Those works have been sort of being completed over the last year or so. Some are currently just opening. So it's both a, a level of commitment that operators can respond to. And we've um, been modernising, replacing our fleet in Leeds over the last few years in parallel with that, as people will have seen from the fetching new green buses. But that, that has very much been a response to an authority that's displayed real can-do. John Dowie, thank you very much. So, what does the government have to say about all this? Approached by the Northern Agenda, the Department for Transport told us we have provided over £1.7 billion to keep bus services running across the country throughout the pandemic and are working closely with operators and local transport authorities to protect services after April. The government has committed to investing £3 billion into bus services by 2025, including £1.2 billion to improve fares, services and infrastructure, and a further £525 million for zero-emission buses. One other intriguing possibility to get people back onto buses is making them more flexible to people's needs, like the Uber taxi services that now dominate in many towns and cities. A smart bus service is being trialled in East Leeds by First, but on Teesside there's already an established scheme called Tees Flex, which people can book using a smartphone app, a website or over the telephone. According to Conservative Mayor Ben Houchen, the on-demand bus service has gone from strength to strength in its second year with the vehicles having now clocked up almost enough miles to go to the moon and back twice. But in our survey of 2,000 people across the north, respondents were uncertain whether such a service in their area would get them using buses more often. Only 24% said they would be more likely to use the bus, versus 26% less likely, and 24% who said they didn't know. All of which means that on the subject of buses, just as with many areas the government wants to level up, There are no easy answers about how to make the improvements that are so clearly needed. But for the sake of the environment, the North's economy and the hopes of spreading opportunities outside London, it's vital we get this right. As Boris Johnson himself notes in his Bus Back Better strategy, the damage done by the pandemic means the task of cutting pollution and tackling congestion is now more urgent than it's ever been. Thank you for listening to the Northern Agenda podcast and don't forget you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk. It's more important than ever for Northern voices to be heard. The Northern Agenda is a laudable production for Reach. It's presented by me, Rob Parsons and Dan O'Donoghue and it's produced by Daniel J. McLaughlin. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to The Northern Agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple and Spotify. Spotify.